0: through the book of Acts and have been for some time now. We're in week 38 and tonight we are in Acts chapter 21. So that's where we're going to pick up tonight. If you have your Bibles you can turn there, Acts chapter 21, and uh, they're going to also put it on the screen for you. Last week we left off with Paul meeting the Ephesian church Um. He didn't go into Ephesus because he didn't want to stay there again for three years. So he was finishing up his third missionary journey. By the way, um, if you are picking up with us and haven't been here for all the semesters we've been doing this, all of the sermons are online on our YouTube page and on our website. So I know it's, it's 38 weeks. But if you're interested in really understanding the book of Acts, and honestly, in a lot of ways, it's kind of the key to all the epistles, be, because uh, all of the epistles were written out of the book of Acts. So there's the story of the epistles really in the book of Acts. But um, if that interests you and, and you're a student of the word, I would encourage you to go back and uh, listen to those, especially if you miss some. Acts chapter 21, verse 1 is where we're going to pick up, and again, Paul was leaving the Ephesian elders, and now he's headed across the Mediterranean Sea back to Jerusalem, and he's going to be finishing up his third missionary journey uh, tonight. So Acts chapter twenty-one, verse one, and when we had parted from them, being the Ephesian elders, and set sail, we came by a straight course to Cost. So instead of looking at the scripture, I'm going to read the scripture, but let's put up the map. Of the third missionary journey, and that way you guys will be able to kind of see as we're as we're reading, uh, you'll be able to see what what is being uh, talked about here. So uh, it says, and when we had parted from them and set sail, so, so now we're at the bottom part of that map, and we're headed towards Syria, which is off to the right hand side in that tan area. That's where Jerusalem is. Um. We came by a straight course to Kos, and the next day to Rhodes, and from there, Petara. And having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. And when we had come in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, so they sailed sort of south of it, leaving it on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre. For there, the ship was to unload its cargo. And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days, and through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. Now, so that this basically finishes up the, the missionary journey. But they didn't arrive right at Jerusalem. They arrived a few cities north, which was at Tyre. And they were going to work their way down the coast until he got to Jerusalem. But this is now the second time. Because you'll remember last week, the Ephesian elders, um, when... Paul was seeing the Ephesian elders, they also talked about and discussed this possibility that he was going to be going to Jerusalem and that he was going to suffer a lot of things there. He was going to experience a lot of persecution there. So now this is the second time that this sort of conversation is happening. So notice what it says, verse 4, and and we're going to dive into this a little bit further later in the sermon. But it says, uh, they sought out the disciples at Tyre. Now we might would say, we might could ask, why? Are there disciples at Tyre? Are these people that, you know, because we have a church in Jerusalem and we have a church at Antioch, which are all in that area, but, you know, we don't necessarily have a record of a church being planted at Tyre in the book of Acts, but what we do have is we have the persecution that happened in Jerusalem and all the believers sort of spread out to all the surrounding areas from Jerusalem. So we can presume that that's why there are believers in Tyre, is from that original persecution that happened in Acts 2, Acts 3, uh, when the church was being sort of persecuted and spread out from there. So they stopped there to see some disciples, and while they were there, it says, through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem, which this is interesting, because Paul has the Spirit in him, (laughs) and in the Holy Spirit... At least they think the Holy Spirit in them is saying, Don't go to Jerusalem, and the Holy Spirit in Paul is saying, Go to Jerusalem. Well, how many know the Holy Spirit doesn't contradict himself? So we're going to get into that a little bit further as we go along, but let's keep going in verse five. It says, And when our days there were ended entire, we departed and went on our journey. And they all with wives and children accompanied us until we were outside the city, and kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship, and they returned home. You can, you can just sense that they, they sort of have something in the early church. When you read through the book of Acts, you get this feeling sometimes that they sort of had something that we don't tend to have sometimes, especially when it comes to just intimacy, fellowship, brotherhood, Uh, Even, you know, family, sometimes it just would seem that they had something in some ways that we didn't, that we don't have. When you look at the way that they had communion together and they're at each other's houses, they're praying, they're breaking bread, you know, um, and, you know, in the early part of the book of Acts, everyone's selling their own stuff, selling land to provide, you know, almost like we would for family members, but maybe not people we don't know very well. And then here you read this, uh, he comes to Tyre. They probably don't know Paul all that well. I mean, they probably know who he is, but he's only been there for seven days. And yet this is the scene that we see when he's leaving. When we departed, went on our journey, they all with wives, children, they all accompanied us uh, until we were outside the city. Now they're at the beach where the boat is, it says, and kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another then we went on board the ship and they returned home so there's just such a close knit you know heart there and you could tell just how grateful and thankful they were for Paul stopping there to encourage them i think one of the reasons why the early church was so close and so tight knit quite frankly was because of persecution and and persecution has a way of doing that you know when when it When the the world is against you and persecuting you and you just sort of cling to each other, you cling to God, you cling to each other because, you know, we're all we have. And in sort of like our country where the persecution is not to that level, uh, you don't necessarily have that. Like people could sort, and, and sometimes you could get the idea that people could sort of take the church or leave the church, you know, and well, we go to church a little bit here and there, and then if not, we live our normal life, and things are, and things are fine. But the reason they're so passionate and and so intertwined in this and with each other is because this is all they have. There, this is their hope. This is their everything. They're clinging to this. Uh, they're clinging to each other. And whenever Paul shows up to encourage them, they're just so grateful, so thankful for someone like him that would. Risk his life, you know, take the time to invest into them. They're so grateful and so thankful. And you can see that in the way they reacted when he was leaving. Verse 7. When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemy, and we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. On the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea. So they're just sort of working their way down the coast real, real slowly on their way to Jerusalem. The next day we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip the Evangelist. Well, we met Philip way early on in the book of Acts, so now we're, we're getting sort of a follow-up story to Philip and what he's been doing this whole time, you know. And so you'll remember Philip from the early part of the book of Acts, but here, we're, they're now in his home in Caesarea. Uh, Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, one of the seven being those that were designated to serve the widows in the early part of the book of Acts, he was one of the seven, and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied, while we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea, and coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands, and said, thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people were urged, uh, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I'm ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. Now, let's take time to dive into this because this makes the third time where there's a conversation about whether or not he should go to Jerusalem. Okay? And just... I, I I can't catch everybody up for those that haven't been here, but this just keep in mind this is the third missionary journey all right he's been on this missionary journey for probably four maybe approaching five years because he was in Ephesus alone for three years, so he's headed back to Jerusalem and he is intent he is intent on doing this. Uh, let's look at each of these times that this conversation happened. So we're going to have to go back to chapter 20 to see the first time. This is Acts 20, 22. And, you know, as you read this, you could kind of ask yourself, I mean, does God want the man to go to Jerusalem or not? <laughs> you know, he because he's got all these warnings. He's got all these people telling him, man, don't go. It's going to be nothing but persecution. So Acts 20, 22 it says, and now be-, this is Paul speaking. He says, and now behold, I am going to Jerusalem. So Paul knew he was going. There was no ifs, ands, or buts about it. He said, I am going to Jerusalem. Then he says, constrained by the Spirit. So he's letting us know right there, this was not my idea. All right? I'm not going to Jerusalem just of my own accord or because I want to go. I'm going constrained by the Holy Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. So Paul pretty much makes this clear, and this is going to be our guide for interpreting the rest of these conversations, okay? Paul makes it clear, I am being pushed, constrained, driven by the Holy Spirit to go to Jerusalem, although he's told me when I get there, there's nothing awaiting me but problems. Imprisonment and affliction awaits me, not only in Jerusalem, but in every in every city, he says. So the Holy Spirit's warning him, the Holy Spirit's preparing him. Maybe you've had this experience before where you know you're supposed to do something, but you know it's going to be difficult. You You know that it's going to be challenging, but yet the Holy Spirit is... Pushing you to do it, and people in your life that love you and care for you, they may come alongside and go, "Hey, you don't need to be doing that. You don't need to put yourself through this. You don't need to. Be, you need to get yourself out of this situation. You don't need to be sacrificing like that. This isn't good for you. You need to, you know, on and on." And good intention because maybe they love you, maybe they care for you. But how many of you know man's word is not God's word? And I've seen people jump ship out of stuff because. Someone in their life said, you know, talked them into it, basically said, hey, you don't need to be doing that, you're okay, you know, you need to get out of this. But that, that might not be saying what God is saying. And sometimes you can get man's approval, but you don't have God's approval. I mean, I've seen this in marriages, you know, people struggling in their marriage. And, and according to God's Word and according to the Holy Spirit, they need to stay in that marriage and fix it and work on it and fight to the end. And maybe someone else, though, a person who's not hearing from God, but maybe they love you and they come along and they go, oh, you don't need to put up with that. You need to get out of here. Well, you got two different things going on. Are you going to listen to man? Or are you going to listen to God? And here's the thing. Sometimes your flesh wants to do what man is saying. And what man is saying, oh, well, this would be good. This would be okay. Yeah, but what, God, what is God saying? What is the Holy Spirit saying? It's a good thing that Paul was really convinced of what God was saying Because he wasn't swayed by man's opinion, okay? So this is going to be our guide to interpret the rest of the the passages here. Because Paul tells us very clearly, I am going to Jerusalem, and I'm not going of my own accord. I'm constrained by the Spirit. But the Spirit has given me insight that I'm going to have major problems there, okay? So... Basically, what we can see from that is that even though in these other conversations he's going to have, uh, they were hearing from the Spirit. There's no doubt they were hearing from the Spirit about the problems that Paul was going to have, but they, they were misinterpreting why the Holy Spirit was telling them that. See what I'm saying? They, and we're going to see that in just a minute. But actually, they weren't telling Paul anything that he didn't already know. So, so when he's in Tyre, for example, and they come and they say, Well, by the Spirit, we feel like you're going to have problems in Jerusalem. Well, Paul didn't... That wasn't news to Paul. He'd already been told that by the Holy Spirit. And we're going to talk about why that's so important in just a, just a moment. Or, for example, when the prophet Agabus came, and he, you know, he was a little more dramatic with it, right? He had a flair for the dramatic. He takes the belt off and he wraps up his hands and his legs, and he says, You know, this is how you're going to be bound going to Jerusalem. Well, that wasn't the first time Paul was hearing that. The Holy Spirit had already spoken to Paul. It had been confirmed entire. So this, this is actually not news to Paul. He already knows this, okay? So verse 23, finishing up this first account, says, uh, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and affliction Await me. Verse 24. But I do not count my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. So now he's giving an explanation of why that doesn't really matter to him that the afflictions and difficulty and pain is the only thing that's waiting on him because he says... I know there's going to be a lot of problems, but the thing is, I don't really count my life of any real uh, value as something to hold on to, right? He says, I, I'm, not, I'm not in this at this point to try to protect my life and protect my comfort. I'm okay. This is a different mindset, right? We don't all have this mindset. A lot of American Christians don't have this mindset. But Paul's mindset, mindset was, I'm okay with suffering and difficulty, Because that really is the purpose of my life. That's a different mindset, isn't it? But that's how he thought. He said, I don't count my life of any value or as as precious, okay? I'm not trying to protect my comfort or make, you know, just go through this life with ease. I have one goal. It is to finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus. And that's it. And if doing that is very costly, if doing that... I have to sacrifice a lot. I have to give up a lot. I have to go through a lot of pain. Then so be it. And we know the reason, one of the reasons why he could do that was because he had an eternal perspective. He knew my, my time is short. My life is short. It's going to be over quick. The, the suffering is temporary. The pain is temporary. The difficulty is temporary. Then I'm going on to heaven to be with Jesus. How many of you know if more Christians thought like that, we'd be getting a lot more done on this, on this earth? And that was Paul's mentality. But I see a lot of Christians give up, bow out, quit, tap out early because they're having difficulty or there are challenges. But but look, we need to have this mindset like Paul had. My life, I don't count my life of any value or my comfort of any value or my ease of any value. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus. Amen? Amen. Okay. It's easy to say amen. It's a whole other thing to go outside and walk it out and live it, right? (laughs) Now, let's go to the second time. Acts chapter 21, verse 4. It says, And having sought out the disciples, this is entire." Having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. And through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. Now, this could be confusing because you, if you read this one way, it sounds like they're saying by the Spirit, they were telling Paul, do not go to Jerusalem. But really, what it, if we use the first scripture to interpret this, which is clearer, by the way, because it has more information, And that's a a principle of biblical interpretation is always use the clear to interpret the unclear, not the other way around, which is what some people do. But we already have a really clear picture from what we just read of what's going on. So we use that to interpret this. So what's being said is by the Spirit, they sensed that Paul was going to have trouble in Jerusalem. And they were correct. But what, where they were wrong was that that didn't mean that they were supposed to tell Paul not to go to Jerusalem. We already know Paul was supposed to go to Jerusalem. But they were sensing in their spirit, he's going to have major problems. But look at what it says. And through the spirit, they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. Because they equated, you're going to have difficulty, pain there, so don't go. But guess what? They were wrong. They were wrong. And they were wrong because they loved Paul, right? They wanted what was best for Paul. But they were telling him not to do something that actually was in God's will for him to do. And I'm going to just tell you, I've been in a lot of situations in my life where very well-meaning people have told me to do things and given me advice to do things that may actually not have been in God's will for me to do. Because if you're looking for it, you can usually find somebody that will agree with you and tell you to do whatever you want to do. I mean, usually you can find somebody to agree with you and go, oh, yeah, you should do that. Go go on and do that. There's a story, I don't know if, I don't remember if it's Kings or Chronicles, where there was one king. Uh, and, uh, man, i I'm, I'm, it's slipping my mind all the names of the kings and the prophets and everybody that was there. So I'll just tell you the story. I don't remember all the names. But there was one king in... And uh, he had a prophet in prison. And the reason he was in prison was because he al- that prophet always spoke the truth. But he never liked what he had to say. <laughs> so he put him in prison because he didn't want to hear what he had to say anymore. And he had about, you know, 15 or 20 other prophets around him. And they were all prophesying good. All what he wanted to hear, telling him what he wanted to hear. And what he wanted to do was he wanted to go up in war against another nation, and all these prophets were around him, and I say, you know, prophets, they were all around him, and they were saying, oh yeah, go up, God is with you, and they were kind of like Agabus, even though Agabus was a a godly man, they were real dramatic, you know, they made some horns out of iron, and they're saying, you know, you're going to gore the enemy like this, you know, and they're speaking on behalf of the Lord, and then there was another king with him, and he said, you know, about these guys, around He said, let's go get that one guy out of prison and see what he has to say. And the king said, no, I don't want to get him. I don't, he don't ever have anything good to say. I don't want to hear what he has to say. It's always negative. He said, well, let's just get him anyway. So he brought, he, uh, he brought the prophet in and the prophet said, yeah, go up. Go up and fight. The Lord is with you. And the king looked at him and said, Did I not tell you to tell me the truth? I know you're lying. Tell me the truth. And he said, no, God's not with you. And when you go up, you're going to be defeated. And the kings looked at each other and one of them said, did I not, did I tell you that this guy never says anything good? He only ever prophesies anything bad. Yeah, but it was from God. It was from God. And all these other guys were around him and they were just telling him what he wanted to hear. And the Bible says that there are many voices in this, and some of them very well-meaning. I, I firmly believe that these disciples in Tyre were very well-meaning. They loved Paul, and they genuinely sensed in their heart that he was going to have problems in Jerusalem. But they overstepped. In other words, I sensed you're going to have problems, and probably the Because re- then we've got to ask ourselves, well, why did the, they, they know it supernaturally? They couldn't have known it except God reveal it to them. So what was God's purpose then in revealing it to him? Well, I mean, maybe he wanted them to pray for him, pray for Paul. Maybe they wanted him, maybe he wanted them to give him encouragement and, and strengthen him and encourage him and help him, you know, before he's going into this difficult situation. But they, they overstepped and said, do not go on to Jerusalem. And then this is my only point, okay? My point is, is that there, there's nothing, it's, it's this order. There's nothing that supersedes the Word of God, first of all. I don't care, and all this is biblical. I could give you scripture all night long about about these things and how it should be in this order. There's nothing that supersedes the Word of God. If, If somebody tells me, well, you know, God told me to do this, or I feel like I'm supposed to do this, and it violates the Word of God, God didn't tell you that. Because God never, never violates his word. And the word, by the way, is our only safety. Because if, if what you can hear or what you can have a dream or you can have a vision or you can have a prophecy that supersedes the word of God, well, that just opens the floodgates for anybody hearing and doing anything up to their own interpretation. But the word of God is the standard. It is perfect. It is infallible. The word does not contradict itself. And the Holy Spirit on the inside of you, or a dream, or a vision, or a prophecy, or all kinds of ways that people hear, try to hear, will not contradict the Word of God ever. So right, if, if the Bible says that X, Y, or Z is a sin, and then you feel, well, I feel like this isn't a sin. God, I feel like God said, for me, this was okay. That ain't from God. That's like that old commercial where, this is one of my favorite commercials back in the 90s, where the guy gets to heaven, and he's there, and there's a huge plate of chocolate chip cookies, you know, and he's eating the cookies, and he's like, oh, this is heaven, this is great. Then he goes and opens the refrigerator, and it's just chock full of milk, y'all remember that? And then he goes to grab the milk cartons, and all the milk cartons are empty, and then he looks at the guy and he Where am I? (laughs) It's like, because he's realized he's actually in hell, not in heaven. (laughs) I don't know why I was saying that. It had something to do with what I was saying. But anyway, (laughs) but yeah, we can talk ourselves into a lot of things, right? We can talk ourselves into a lot of things, but the Word of God is the standard. The Word of God is everything. Your life has to be founded on the Word, The Bible talks so much about deception running rampant in the last days, even among believers. That will never happen in a person's life when they are rooted and grounded in the Word of God. The only way that deception comes into our lives is when we violate the Word of God. That's why Paul was so emphatic with Timothy. He said, Timothy... This is what the last days are going to be like. Deception everywhere. He said people. Heaping teachers to themselves. That have. Because they have itching ears. That will tell them what they want to hear. See and that's the sin nature part of us. We we, we want. Sometimes we want to hear certain things. We, we would like to hear confirmation. That it would be okay to do this. Or okay to live this way. Or okay to quit doing this. But. But. God will never violate his word, number one. Okay, number two, the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. Okay, the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. You have the Holy Spirit on the inside of you, and the Bible says it uh, this way, for example, in the book of Acts. It says, well, we were praying, and it seemed good to us and to the Holy Spirit. What's it, what, what are they saying when they say that? They saying, well, in my spirit, it seemed like this was right. and there have been other times where maybe you felt like something wasn't right, right? You knew I shouldn't do that, and you knew it in here. You knew it in your spirit. So these things need to agree. For example, if we go to Paul, what's going on here? Well, in his spirit, he knows from God that he's supposed to go to Jerusalem, but he's going to have problems. Now he gets to Tyre, and he's got another group of believers telling him, hey, you're going to have problems in Jerusalem, and you shouldn't go. And in his spirit, he knows, that's not right. I know that I'm going to have problems, but that doesn't mean I'm not supposed to go. So what does he do? He follows his own spirit. And this is another fundamental part of being a believer and how to hear from God, is the Word of God is our standard, but number two, our own spirit is going to help us know what's right and what's what's wrong, and you never violate your spirit just because somebody else is telling you that you ought to do something. You don't violate your spirit if you if you feel like this is right and I should do this. Okay, now if they come to you with the word of God, that's different, but you don't just listen to what somebody else is saying. Look, like for example, uh, many many times in my life. Many times in my life, because I've been in, you know, in ministry in different churches, you know, people will come and they'll say, oh, well, I think you ought to do this, or I think the church ought to do this, or wh- whatever, on and on. And sometimes I wanted to jokingly say, well, I wonder why he didn't tell me then. <laughs> What's he doing telling you? I pray all the time about what we're supposed to be doing. I seek the Lord about what we're supposed to be doing. I'm asking him. So I wonder why it is, when I was asking him, he thought he should go tell you. That's weird. Why didn't you just tell me? Anyway, that's another thing. But that can happen with people, right? People come into your life. Maybe you have people really opinionated in your life, and they tell you, I think you ought to be doing this. And you go, well, I wonder why God didn't tell me that. I was asking him. He could have told me. But that's kind of what's going on here. Paul knows in his heart what he's supposed to do, but he gets something contrary to that from people that love him. All right, and this is a situation that you're going to find yourself in all the time as a believer. But guess what? You're not accountable to them. You're not accountable to them. They're not your God. Uh, Some of you, when you first became a Christian, um, maybe you had people in your family that were like, why are you doing that? You shouldn't be doing that. Or or I know I've talked to people all the time that came out of a denominational-type background, like came out of a Catholic church or... Baptist church or something like that and they had people in their family like why are you going to that church over there you you, you were grew, you grew up this denomination you know why are you going there and they don't understand it yeah but you got to do what the Holy Spirit is leading you to do because you're not accountable to them you're accountable to God right and they need to make their decisions and you need to make yours and both will answer to God for the decisions that we make so Paul, is confident in his spirit about what he's supposed to do. And really, I think the point of the Holy Spirit um, telling these other believers is, one, to give Paul confirmation. And this is another thing about hearing from God. I very, very rarely, if ever... Scene where God will tell somebody something about your life that he hasn't already shown you to be true unless he's already shown you and it's confirmation of what he's already shown you, right? And so in other words, uh, if I felt like God was telling me that we were supposed to plant this church in Alexandria, that's not... That's not always 100%, right? Because we, you don't hear from God with the physical ear. So there's an element of, well, I think I'm hearing from God. I'm praying. This feels right. I'm moving in this direction, but I'm moving slowly and cautiously because I want to make the right decision. Well, then maybe God sends you somebody confirmation to say, hey, you know, I was praying and feel like you're really supposed to do this. Well, boom, that's confirmation with what God's already, God's already shown me. So those things are in alignment. But very rarely have I ever seen where just out of the blue somebody comes up and says, hey, you're, I think you're supposed to go off to you know, Africa and do this. And I'm like, what? God has never shown me that, never told me that. I've never heard that. I've never really seen where that's from God. Now, I've seen a lot of stuff like that go on. But I've never seen that where that was actually from, from God. Usually, when God has someone else to come into your life to, to tell you something it's already confirmation of what you were feeling in here. Unless you're just so totally out of tune, so totally out of touch with with the spirit in your life. But usually what they're telling you will confirm in here. Even if it's something you've not necessarily heard before, when they say it, you'll know in here, man, that, that bears witness with my spirit. That feels right. And some of us are not used to checking our heart like that. We're not used to checking our conscience. But look, The Bible is very clear that we have the Holy Spirit in our lives. And the Bible says one of his main purposes and roles is to guide you into all truth. It even says he'll show you the future. So I look for and depend and ask constantly for direction from the Holy Spirit. In our church, we endeavor not to make any moves until we hear from the Holy Spirit. We don't build nothing, do nothing, start nothing, Because people want to do it, don't want to do it, none of that. We want to know what the Holy Spirit says. Is this right? Is this in line with his will? That's what we want to know. And we pray until we get that and until we know that. So Paul already knew he was supposed to go to Jerusalem and he already knew he was going to have persecution there. So these believers in Tyre are bringing confirmation to part of that, but then they're wrong about the other part because they're telling him not to go. Okay, so let's go to the third time. This is Acts 21.10. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns his belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Now, Agabus... If you'll notice the difference between Agabus, Agabus just gives what the Holy Spirit said, but he gives no advice associated with it. And there's a lot of wisdom in that, because he didn't add anything to it. He said, thus says the Lord, you're going to be arrested. You're going to be bound and arrested. But he didn't say, so please don't go. And I think that was the more correct way that should have been done. God showed him that he was going to be uh, receive persecution and have problems, but he didn't tell Paul that he wasn't supposed to go to Jerusalem. Now, the others did. Luke says, verse 12, when we heard this, We and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. So the others that were there, they heard the prophecy of Agabus, and then they started telling Paul, Paul, you're not supposed to go. You don't need to go up. And it's just because they love him, right? They love him. They don't want him to go. But then Paul answered, what are you doing? See, this reminds me, Paul is so much nicer here, so much nicer here than Jesus was. But you remember when Jesus was talking about being crucified? And Peter rebuked him. And Peter said, Lord, no, you you far be it from that. You're not going to be crucified. That, that's not God's will for you. And Jesus looked at Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you're not in you are not in touch with the things of God. In other words, you spoke that off the top of your head, and you should have zipped it. You should have said it. Look, there's a, there's a lot of times we've been guilty of this, probably in other people's lives, where we're telling them what they ought to do, but we haven't sought God. We haven't prayed. I mean, I, I'll be honest with you. I've I've had those conversations with people in our own, in in our church through the years, or in churches through the year. People come. Well, I think we ought to do this, and I ask them, Have you prayed about that? Well, no. I mean, I just I just thought it would be a good idea. Well, don't because I'm praying every day about it, and we we need to know. <laughs> We need to know what God is saying, not just what you think is a good idea. And this would, be a, this would be wisdom for all of us before we open our mouth and give our opinion to anybody. We really need to know. Because sometimes people take our opinion, our advice, and they act on it, and it might not be in tune with what God is saying. So they, they, so in, in Jesus' case with Peter, Peter started doing this. And Jesus turned and said, Get thee behind me, Satan, for you, you are not in touch with the things of God. And what's going on? You're just speaking out of your head, out of your flesh. In other words, you're just flapping, flapping those jaws. Paul is not as strong or confrontational with it here. But when everybody starts saying, he said, uh, verse 12, when we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul said, what are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, Let the will of the Lord be done. This actually could have been this this could have been dangerous. Like if Paul because there's that now Paul seems very, very convinced and, and fully persuaded but imagine someone who's struggling with this. Like even Jesus in the garden, right? Je- Jesus in the garden. You remember, he's praying about what he's got to do. And he's praying to the Lord and he says, I really want this cup to pass from me. I'm really, I really don't want to do this. If there's a way for this cup to pass, Lord, let it be. But not my will, but your will be done. So you can imagine if someone's kind of teetering on that edge. They know what they need to do, but they don't want to do it. And then people are around them encouraging them. Oh, come on, don't do this. Here's why. And they're talking it in. You could could persuade somebody to go the wrong direction that's not even in line with the will of God. And that's kind of what Paul is saying. He says, what are you doing? You're weeping. You're breaking my heart. I'm fully persuaded about what I need to do. But now y'all are almost persuading me to do something different. But he reaffirms and he says, For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but also even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord. And since, since, we, uh, since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. How do you know that's what should have been said first? <laughs> let the will of the Lord be done. And that's what we're supposed to be after. That ought to be what our primary focus is. So, in these other cases... I do think they were hearing from God about the persecution, but then they had the wrong interpretation of what that meant. And in, in some cases, they gave their advice incorrectly of what he should have, what he should have done about it. All right, so also, uh, another way that you can judge things, we talked about judging things by the Word of God. We talked about judging them by uh, the, the Holy Spirit. Another way, it's not the only way, and it can't be taken by itself, uh, just alone. But another way that you can judge the will of the Lord is by the fruit that comes out of it. So if, for example, Paul was out of the will of God in going to Jerusalem, then you would expect that there would be no fruit in it, right? He's not operating in the grace of God. He's not under the will of God. He wasn't supposed to go to Jerusalem. So there's not going to be any fruit. As the the Bible talks about inspecting fruit and going, you know, what is looking at the fruit of it. So let's look at the fruit of what happened with Paul. Well, first of all, he is arrested in Jerusalem, as the Holy Spirit said that he would be. But, through that imprisonment, he meets Felix, he meets Festus, preaches the word of God to them, and eventually he meets Caesar. This doesn't happen in the book of Acts, but it, we know from history that Paul did eventually stand before Caesar to give an account of the cross. Also, while he was in prison, so he, he's imprisoned in Jerusalem, and then he's in, you know, he's, he's in prison in Jerusalem, and he's transferred to Rome and all that, and in those several years, while he's in prison, he ends up writing the book of Romans, Philippians, Philemon, Ephesians, Colossians, 1 Timothy, and Titus, all during this imprisonment. So a lot of fruit (laughs) came out of this particular persecution in this situation. And we we could spend a whole sermon talking about how his imprisonment affected the way that he wrote the epistles. I mean, first of all, just having all of that time in the epistles... But in these epistles that we're talking about, these prison epistles, uh, he speaks about his imprisonment a lot and how it was changing him and how it was challenging him. So that was part of God developing him. And and I think that it's key that these epistles came out of that time that he has in in prison. So God, God doesn't look at suffering and difficulty the same way that we do. You know, sometimes... Going through something difficult is exactly what we needed to draw out those things that were that were in us you know and and it's it's not always a good thing to just avoid suffering at all costs. sometimes the things that we're going through changes. you know I think back to uh, motherhood, fatherhood you know when you first have kids and kids are up late and and crying and you're changing diapers and it's putting you through a lot, but that's a season where you grow a lot too as a human being because of what you're going through. Uh, So sometimes that suffering God uses to actually produce something. So suffering should not always be avoided even though this seems to be our default mindset, and it definitely was the default mindset of these e- other believers. They thought that he should avoid suffering, and in our lives, a lot of times that's the default: is we just try to avoid suffering at all costs. And, and sometimes we we act like a difficult situation, or that because something is really hard or really difficult, that that automatically means we should change course or we should stop doing it. But that's not true. That's not true sometimes, even though it's hard and difficult, God may be saying, yeah, but this is exactly where I want you. This is exactly where I want you, and I don't want you to change course because it's difficult. What I want is for you actually to grow and develop. And what I've seen happen in my own life many times is that I may be in a situation that I just think is so hard and so difficult, but as I begin to grow as a person, and I grow in my maturity and spiritual maturity and character, eventually the circumstances never changed, but I changed, so now I don't find that circumstance that difficult anymore. And I remember when I first started pastoring the church, there were certain things that I just thought were so difficult and so hard, and things I just thought might might kill me if it didn't change. Well, then I just had to grow, and now those things don't even bother me. It's like if you go to the gym and you get under, you know, fifty pounds, and you think, "Oh, it's just the heaviest thing ever." But you keep working out. Eventually, fifty pounds might you might go in there and be like, Pfft, that's, "That's nothing. I could, live, I could that's no problem." Yeah, because you grew, you you developed as a person. It'd be good for us to remember that too for those that are raising kids, because that's that's true too. That's how they develop and how they grow as well. So sometimes it is required, suffering is required to accomplish something that God wants to do. It seems like God knew all along that this was going to be the path for Paul. And it almost even seems like that God gave him the personality and the temperament to be able to endure hardship and suffering. And it just seemed like he was built for it. And in Acts chapter 9, verse 16, if you remember whenever Paul was saved, he was on the road to Damascus. He had the encounter with the bright light. And uh, a man by the name of Ananias ends up taking him in his home and sort of discipling him. And he gets filled with the Holy Spirit and those things. Well, when God was speaking to Ananias, notice what he said. Acts 9, uh, 15. But the Lord said to him, to Ananias, go, for he, talking about Paul, he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry the name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So it seems like all the way from the beginning, God knew that Paul was going to have... to suffer, and that suffering and difficulty and challenges were going to be an ongoing part of his ministry, and he even told Ananias that from the beginning. And I'm sure Ananias relayed that to Paul, you know, to, to to prepare him. This is what you're this is what you're in for, but you can do it. You can you can take it. So, what I want to, I guess, close out with tonight and encouraging you. You know, you could be in a situation. I mean. There's so many different situations that could be represented here tonight. But as a general rule, okay, we do not make decisions based on because something is difficult or hard or I don't like it or there's nothing in me that wants to do it. If you make your decisions on that, you're going to end up making a lot of wrong decisions. What we make our decisions on is what is, first of all, what does the word say? But secondly, what what does my spirit say? What is the Holy Spirit saying for me to do? There there are certain things where I've wanted to make changes, but I never got released from the Holy Spirit. You know, we joked on Sunday about even being in Alexandria. Like, I'm not here because I think Alexandria is the greatest place on earth to live. I'm in Alexandria because God called me here. And that may be how you feel. That may be, maybe you're at the job that you're at because the Holy Spirit has... Told you this is where you want to be. You go, well, I don't like my job, but I feel like I'm supposed to be here, and this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Look, follow that, because I'll tell you this. Sometimes you, you get out of a situation because you think, well, I don't like it, and it's difficult, but I'm going to tell you, being out of the will of God is way worse. And, and you, can sw- you can make a change sometimes. You can do something that you ought not do and find out, I, I'd give anything to be back there. <laughs> At least I was in the will of God there. Because you could change a situation and get out of the will of God and then you'd be, you really have a problem then. So I'd rather be in the worst, most difficult situation, but at least I'm in the will of God. Because when you're in the will of God, there'll be a grace on you to carry that and to endure that and go through that. But don't step outside of the will of God. Don't make a change just because somebody else thinks you should or maybe you're tired of it or whatever. You need to hear... You need to hear from God. In other words, you need to know that this isn't just me doing this, that the Holy Spirit is, is also involved in it. Amen.